Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today's guest is Kathy Collins. She is a hospital chaplain and the author of the book, The Mystic Chaplain. And today we'll learn of some of her spiritual adventures. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you giving me some of your time today and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate you giving me time to share with others as well. Hopefully it will uh, help some other people along the way as we talk today. All right. So my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences. Can we start um, on the day that that happened and tell us what happened? Um, I was diagnosed with cancer. And I'm very sensitive to medicine. So you can imagine they gave me three different types of chemos. Within 48 hours, I was in the ER. Mm -hmm. And when I came in, I met a very young doctor who was on call. And he was, um, I admired him from the moment I met him because he knew he was in over his head when I walked in. And he asked me if he could call in other doctors to help me. And I said, yes, they put me in a room. And he continued with his um, ER duties. These three doctors are working on me very feverishly because I was going downhill very fast. And in that time, I experienced myself being what I would call in a bubble, a vibrating presence bubble around me that left me with such peace. And I could see everything that was going on as far as the tension in the room, the three doctors working on me but it didn't matter to me. It was of no concern to me anymore. I totally surrendered at that point, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have one of these experiences where I'm up on the ceiling. I just was surrounded by this vibrating energy. And it sounded, if you ever been close to a hummingbird Mm -hmm. and the fast movement of their wings, that's what I was hearing during that time. And while I was there, this young doctor walked by the door of the room I was in. We made eye contact. And then a little while later, he came by again. And this time he walked into the room. And which was beautiful is everything that's going on that I should be concerned about. He walks in and asks me if there's anything he can do for me. And I was bald as an eagle at that point. And I was, my head was cold. And I said, told him that. So he brought over one of these goosenecked lamps and put it over my head and he left the room. And that was the most joyous part of this whole thing. That small gesture was more important to me than the three doctors that were working on me. And then when I finally was brought around, they sent me to another hospital. But in that time, I regretted that I never got this guy's name. Hmm. 
And for the next six months, I'm bedridden because of the weakness of the, the chemos in my body rejecting things. And I never forgot about them. I talked about them often to my mother who was in the emergency room with me at that time. And on my last day, when I was over everything, I came back to the clinic with a basket of thank you things mm -hmm. for the staff. And the head nurse gave me a hug. And she said, Kathy, there's someone in our chemo room that is waiting for her first treatment. She's frightened to death, has the same fast growing cancer you have. Could you talk to her? So I went in that room and that's the first time I ever experienced feeling everyone's thoughts in the room. Hmm. I didn't know, I could just literally hear them all, their, their pain stories, what they were going through. I end up sitting down next to her and we're talking, she's asking the questions. And I see someone peripherally on the other side of her lean forward a couple of times. And I'm terrible with remembering names, but I never forget a face. And the third time he did this, I looked at him and I said, I know you. He said, yes, I was the emergency room doctor when you first came in. This hmm. is my wife. Oh, wow. I got to thank him. That was, I call that the full circle. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to clarify a little thing, a few things for me. If we go back to your experience when you were in the bubble, Mm -hmm. Were you like in a bubble outside of your body watching the doctors work on your body? Or did you feel I like... I can't even explain that. Or did you feel like you were in your body in a bubble watching them work on you? So were you separate or inside? What do you, what do you think? I would have to say that I was not separated. Okay. I was still inside my body, but I was being protected by something more mm. powerful than me. And that was a beautiful feeling. And I get that again in another experience down the line. Um, only, And then at that point, I didn't just hear the humming. I hear a heartbeat. Mm. And it's not mine. Mm, interesting. All right. Well, so you see this guy. It's amazing that you see the same doctor again. And it's his wife. Mm -hmm. And you were saying you, were, you could now hear people's thoughts. Were you just hearing hers or were you hearing his too? No, it was just the feeling in the room. You just, it's a knowing. Mm -hmm. It's hard to explain because I wasn't experiencing any of, of this before. Um, I didn't know what all of this was. It was just like a, a download of everything coming at one time. You felt it in the room when I walked through. And I've walked through that door many times mm -hmm. for my treatments. I never felt that. But that day I did. And I don't know if that was maybe the divine telling me, hey, pay attention to what's happening to you today. Mm -hmm. But yet I didn't understand that either at that point. Mm -hmm. Maybe you, when you had your experience, you just somehow crossed some kind of threshold where now it's, you have this ability to get this information downloaded into you. In time, a, a friend of mine who is, has gifts, that's what I call gifts. Mm -hmm. First time I ever met someone like that. When something particular happened to me in the book, uh, I was pretty shaken by it. And when I went to her, she just laughed at me. Mm -hmm. And she said, you were just opened up. Hmm. And now I think that was a slight opening for me in that beginning, walking mm -hmm. into that room. I was starting to experience something, didn't know what it was, mm -hmm. but I know it was different. Hmm. Uh, and I was paying attention. After this experience with the woman and the, her doctor, her doctor husband, 
did you immediately become a hospital chaplain after that, or how did you become a chaplain? No, it was a journey uh, from, well, I was diagnosed in uh, 1994, in the fall of 1994 with cancer. And I didn't become a chaplain until 2015. And that was the long journey of things experienced. Mm -hmm. My searching, my doubting Thomas time, I called it, Mm -hmm. where things were happening to me that I thought, whoa, there's got to be an answer for this. I've never um, been in a situation where I should just accept. I Mm -hmm. wanted to know why it's happening. Mm -hmm. And that searching journey took me uh, on quite a journey, which is in the book, And each thing was slowly leading me to being a chaplain, but I didn't know where it was going yet. Mm -hmm. And I kind of relay that in the book. It's like, here's just another piece of a puzzle, but I have to do more searching. I have to do more questioning. And people were put on my path along the way, or I was told to see somebody, which I would have never thought in my wildest days to go and seek out someone Mm -hmm. that I was told. And through that, in those years, I ended up, uh, the very last one was a Dr. Um, David Kessler. Have you ever heard of him? Mm, you know, the Kessler. He gave a presentation at it. I was saying he's Kessler maybe sounds familiar, but I'm not really sure. Okay. Well, he's very well known for um, uh, death and grieving is his background. And he's from the West Coast. And he came into Illinois to the university, um, Lincoln University. And I went to a presentation there. And when I was listening to him, I knew then, not that I'd be a chaplain, but I knew I was going to be doing something with people that were passing over, Mm. getting ready to die and helping them. It was so strong when I was in his presentation that day. And it was pretty exciting because I was with some other people and we had been in a a spiritual group at that by that time. And I could tell them what I was thinking and they all kind of took note. But again, we don't know where this is going. But then a little while later, uh, taking care of my parents in the end of their lifetime, I took care of them for 14 years in the end, where they took care of me for six months when I was bedridden. Mm. So I always felt that six months and the 14 years was a fair exchange. Uh Always felt that way. But in the end, uh, when my mother was still in the nursing home, I was visiting her and a voice came from behind me by saying, good morning, I'm Chaplain Monica. May I join you? Well, she was the chaplain of the nursing home. And on the days that I would come, I never ran into her until that day. She sat down and joined us. And in her conversation, we started to talk about things. And she told me how she left her nursing career to become a chaplain. Hmm. And I can't explain it to you. My heart leapt in a way I've never felt it. You can fall in love. You can feel that, that joy in the heart. This went beyond that, and I knew then, and I didn't know if they would accept me at all, but that's where it started, and I reached out to them, and they eventually called me in for an interview, Hmm. and in that interview, I had to write a 14, well, I had to write my life story briefly, but it was 14 pages back to back, and then when the two supervisors interviewed me, the head one had said to me in the end, he said, I can't classify you with any one particular religion. He said, I have to call you a mystic. Hmm. And that's where the mystic chaplain comes from. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought of myself that way, but that was his his terminology for oh, me. That's great. Can you give us some of the puzzle pieces of your spiritual journey that you had 
along the oh. way to becoming a chaplain. Okay, I've got a dandy for you. Great. I kind of gave you the ending part here about right. the chaplain uh, being interviewed. But nine years before that, I had a vision that I document, and I was documenting them at that time in journals, which I was told to do after meeting some people. And uh, I was in a classroom with many people, and the colors that were in that room were unbelievable of their clothing. And I didn't know why I was there, but there was a man behind a tall, white, bright white stone table, and he was the teacher. And I describe him in my notes. Now, when I went to have that interview for my chaplainship nine years later, there were two supervisors in that room. The head one that called me the mystic, and the other one is the one I saw in the vision. Hmm. And he became my teacher, not only on the other side, mm -hmm. but on this side. Wow, that's interesting. And after I was in the chaplain program, after a while, you would have to meet with your supervisor every two weeks, and you could talk about anything, what's going on in the hospital, any problems, the classroom work, whatever. But uh, this day, I brought my journal because mm -hmm. I felt I was comfortable enough that I told him I had met him before. Mm -hmm. And you could just see his mind going, like, where did we meet? And mm -hmm. I told him the date and the year. And he said, I wasn't even living here in Madison, Wisconsin at that time. And I laughed and I let him read it. I mm -hmm. describe him exactly the way mm -hmm. he looks, mm -hmm. to his silver hair, his tallness, and what he wears. It was it was amazing. We both laughed at that point. It was just he knew about my background, mm -hmm. but to have this come out, he was pretty taken by it. Yeah, that's amazing. Before your illness and before your cancer, had you ever had any paranormal experiences? Not, no. Nothing that I was aware of or hmm. nothing at all. It was the cancer and my being bedridden for those six months. Um, I called my room the cell. Mm -hmm. And in that cell, because I was really there for six months, um, I maybe got up an hour out of the day if I could take it mm -hmm. to have a meal and get cleaned up, you know, washed up or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was so weakened by this. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, in that six months time, I got to the point where I didn't think I was going to make it. I had lost all energy at this point. Mm -hmm. And my sister was an oncology nurse who had retired. And I called her and I asked her if my thoughts were correct. And I remember her saying to me, you're in the depths of hell. And you have to believe that you can walk out of that by going up the ladder one rung at a time. Mm. That night, I remember being alone in my room and contemplating, well, where do you get the energy and the strength when you haven't got anything more to give? Mm -hmm. That's where I was at. Mm -hmm. And I heard a voice say, why? That was awareness for me. I called it my roommate. And after that, I paid attention to what awareness was showing me mm -hmm. and teaching me in those six months. And you thought, well, what can you learn in bed mm -hmm. for six months? But I got to see a tree outside my window, the way my bed was faced. All I saw was the tree and the sky and the clouds for whatever day it was, brighter or not. And that tree was teaching me how we are all one and the connectedness of nature and man and how I watched the branches fall off through the winter and the hard winds. 
into understanding that we need to let our branches go as well. So I was being taught something. And it was brought to fruition after I came, went back to work. Hmm. Maybe that's hard to, to explain, but that tree was teaching me life lessons mm-hmm. in those six months. And then when I went back to work, my first day, I worked for a president of a company. And that first day I was told that I no longer had my job mm-hmm. with him because he worked in Washington back and forth from the state. He needed somebody. That I understood, but how it was done, I felt this was wrong. But I was staying quiet. And then I heard the voice say, this is what you've been showing. Now it's put up or shut up. Hmm. And I accepted what was given to me. They told me I could work for the VP, his VP. But that broke my chain of having to be committed to something. And by trusting and letting go, my whole world opened up. Mm-hmm. I left that job within a week mm-hmm. and I had a job where I am now. Uh, I got the job the first day I interviewed. They did the interview. They did the physical that day. I couldn't believe what was happening. And the, well, the reason for all of that was, is my sister lived up in this area where we are now and she wanted my parents to move here. So the day that this happened at work, my first day back, I came home wanting to tell my parents what had happened but I didn't have a chance because they're telling me they were waiting for me to go back to work because my sister wanted them to move up here. And my mother said, I'm not moving without you. I didn't expect that, but I said, I'm not moving without a job. So they put the house up for sale and it sold within 24 hours. Wow. I went up for a job. I got it that day. Mm. Everything was moving fast. It was just like, When you let go of some things you think you can't be without, the doors open up for something more beautiful than you can imagine. So that kind of pushed me to this area where I was supposed to be and the journey continued. Yeah, I think just that alone is a great message. And I'm assuming you learned that just from watching the trees let go of the branches in the wintertime. That's for new growth. Mm -hmm. As a chaplain, have you ever walked into the room and perhaps... um, experienced an NDE with one of the patients? Like sometimes I think people can be with somebody and they experience their life review with them, or perhaps maybe you might've been with them and seen other relatives coming through. Um, I am in the process of a second book and -hmm. it's going to take me through chaplainship training into the hospital. So some of these things will be in there. Mm -hmm. The answer to your question is yes. Mm -hmm. Many times. Not so much that I see what they're seeing, mm-hmm. but they're telling me, can you see it? Mm. And I'll, and I'm very close to them, sometimes closer than their own family members in the room. I'm right next to them, mm-hmm. touching them or, mm-hmm. you know, being with them in those final moments. And when they say, can you see it? And I'll say, no, but can you tell me about it? Mm. I want to know because I understand what they're going through. Mm-hmm. I've been on the other side in some of my events. I've had that feeling in the emergency room. And if, when someone says, no, it's just you're, you know, you're hallucinating. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it's not. And what a beautiful thing to be able to share. Mm-hmm. And my father had one on his last day before he died, mm-hmm. which I have in the book, where he called. He's in the bed in the emergency room, and he's looking past my right side of my head, and he's calling out, Ma. 
I knew his mother was there. Hmm. And prior prior to getting him to the emergency room, he was in a, another hospital emergency room. Before that, they couldn't help him. We had to move him. But when I first got in to see him, he said to me, when I took his hand and I gave him a kiss, and he said, it'll soon all be over and I'll be alone. And I thought, well, this wasn't an emergency type thing that he was going to die. He lost the catheter. They had to replace it. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. And I said, Dad, when that time comes, don't worry, I'll be with you. And he just had a, a grin on his face that I knew. And he was Irish. Mm-hmm. And I won't use the words that we use, but they're in mm-hmm. the book <laughs> of what he was thinking and saying. And I understood it. I knew he was going to pass soon, just didn't know when. Hmm. And of course, then we get him to this other emergency room and he calls past me to his ma. And I mean, he, he literally had the ET, EMT guys and the nurses jump with his loud voice. And I just knew she was there. Hmm. And the, the next morning, by eight o'clock, he was gone. He went in his sleep. Hmm. And dad never would listen to any of the things I had to tell him. Mm-hmm. But this was, in the end, he shared all of this with me. It was a beautiful gift that he gave me. Mm. Can you tell us one of the most profound things that you saw with a patient as a chaplain? Something that, you know, just shocked you or surprised you? Like, wow, I can't believe this just happened. And it left you thinking about it for days. Offhand, uh, not that just shocked me. It's just because each one is different. And, And that's what's so beautiful, too the uniqueness of each person and how they come to them. Um, a, a case in point would be her suitcases were packed. They were all lined up and ready to go, but she was waiting for someone to come and get her. Hmm. You know, seeing those suitcases, she's taking a trip. I knew that. She knew that. Sometimes there's nothing, no one in the room but me and the patient uh, depends what's going on, if there's no family or whatever. But if family is there, um, they'll question after. Did they really see that? What was going on? That they're not open to knowing that they're seeing something, the portals are opening for them, and it's making them as comfortable as possible before that transition happens. That's how I look at it. Mm. And it's something familiar for them. That's basically all I can tell you. I mean, there's there's lots of them. Uh, <laughs> seeing other members of their families, um, talking to them. I've got patients that couldn't speak because of dementia or whatever. And they were talking plain as day mm. to family members. That, I could say, probably would be a, a mind blower. Wow. Especially with other members of a family in the room that knew that patient couldn't speak. Hmm. Um, and knowing that patients are really still with us, even though they're in a coma. Mm-hmm. I encourage my family members of patients to continue talking to them, continue talk, or touching them, telling them that they love them. Uh, case in point is two young children. Uh, they were teenagers with their mother. Their father was in his late 50s, uh, unexpected after getting a flu shot, got this Gary uh, syndrome, I believe it's called, I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly, but it can it can take you out or paralyze you. And he was in a complete coma. He did not make it in the end. But while he was in that coma and I came in, I asked, can you tell me about your father? 
And the one sister said to the brother, oh, tell her about the trip to Canada, the fishing trip. Mm-hmm. And the brother responded, oh, I don't think dad would like me to tell that one. Oh, she said, it's so funny. Tell it. He started to tell it. And the father's hand came up and went like this. <laughs> no. Wow. That was a Kodak moment in the room for the family because I had told them, keep talking to them. They're with us. They hear us. So those are a few. <laughs> Did he finally come out of the coma? No, he, oh. he passed away. That's an amazing story. So you, when did you publish your book? Two when, years ago. Two yeah. years ago. So two been, years ago. It it's, been out, it's been out mm-hmm. quite a while then. Uh, one of the things that happened, there's, there was one thing in the end that I knew there was something more I'm supposed to be doing. And I didn't figure out what it was until the book was already going into print. But I was able to share it at my book launch. I had over 100 people in the room for the book launch. And at that time, I let them know, um, here's a, I have to backtrack a little bit so that you understand this. I was three years old and my brother was nine months and my brother passed away at nine months. And at three years old, I remembered everything about him, all the details to this day. There's a connection I have with him that I cannot explain. It, it is in the book. I take care of his gravesite every year. It's like clockwork. I don't miss. There's other family members. I know they're not there. I don't have to, but there's something I do for Michael. And um, in one of my events in the book, I'm on the other side, and I'm sitting on a white, again, bright white stone bench overlooking valleys for as far as the eye can see of flowers. And the colors, some we know and some are not of this earth, and they're all vibrating with an energy the flowers. And I'm sitting with this presence next to me. I would I would have guessed maybe early 30s just by looking at the presence. But telepathically, we were enjoying what we were seeing. And then that presence told me that he was my brother, Michael. And at that moment, there was a energy that went through my body and through my heart that I describe in the book, and I don't think it gives it justice, that it was like the explosion of ten, a thousand suns hmm. exploding, and I didn't want it to stop. And I didn't understand that yet. And in my journey, I was showing hearts all the time. Hmm. They would come at me or they'd be given to me. Um, so now I'm at, now I'm going to fast forward to my book launch night, and it was just after. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry got married. I don't know if you took in that event or saw it, but Bishop Michael Curry gave the presentation or his uh, the gospel for the day, and it, it was so moving. It sent chills through me, which is one of the ways I get messages as well. Not just a little chill, but rolling through me. And he talked about a priest, psychic, scholar, Pierre Tillard de Deschardins. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Mm. But he wrote about the cosmic love. The Catholic Church sent him to China to get him out of the way because they didn't want him to publish his papers on this. And Pierre died in 1955. And since then, they have published his papers. Now, I never heard of him until that day of this sermon. Mm. 
but I have been reading up on him. And in that, he talks about the cosmic love. And that's the only way I can describe it. He talked about uh, the earth has discovered fire and all that it is brought into us scientifically uh, for the world and things to happen because of it. And his um, message, and this is my message that I'm trying to promote as well, when the earth, when mankind discovers the power of love, humanity will have discovered fire for the second time. Hmm. And that's what I'm trying to teach. And that's what I'm being shown. And it's, it's coming. Our world is in a state right now where we're ready for it. Mm. So that's what happened. And I shared that that night with the room. You could have heard a pin drop. I don't think they were expecting that to come out of me. And I didn't know it was going to come out of me. But the next day, I got a beautiful uh, email from someone saying he had never been to anything like this in their life. Mm -hmm. And he said, and thank you for keeping your ears open and listening and sharing mm -hmm. with the rest of us. How did you get into that experience? Like, were you meditating and then had that experience? Or were you, a, was it in a dream? Mm -hmm. or? Okay, some of my things came while I was awake. Some of them came in meditation and some came in dreams. Mm -hmm. And those dreams are very specific. Mm -hmm. They're not the kind where... You get up in the morning, take a shower, and you can't remember what you've dreamt. These were just embedded into my mind, mm -hmm. all the details of them. This particular one was a dream, mm. so significant. Mm. Um, and I had, had other dreams, too, where I, I could communicate and mm -hmm. telepathically. Like I was being shown, these things are coming. Mm -hmm. They're here, but they're not here enough that everybody is able to do this, but it's coming. But yeah, it was, it was a dream. <laughs> well, that's a beautiful okay. one. Now that you've had this experience and with all the other experiences you've had sharing with people, how has that changed you? For example, like, do you fear death at all anymore? And you're asking all the right questions. Thank you hmm. for that, Jeff. <laughs> um, one of my experiences is when I lost all fear of death, mm -hmm. Uh, I wasn't supposed to have this happen to me this day. A friend of mine's back went out and we had a bunch of gals that were at an event for a weekend to golf. And my partner's back went out the night before. And I knew that there was a massage place in within the hotel. So we went down to see if we could get her in. And they were closing up. It was about five minutes to eight. And at that point, they took her in the next morning. And I went along down just to sit in the lounge. And when this woman got done with her, she came out and told me that she'd be out shortly. And oh, and, and I was asked, what would I like? And I thought, well, I'll have a pedicure. Well, they said, don't do those here. And I said, well, then I don't want anything because I am so sensitive to medicines and pain in the body. Um, after having had cancer, I was with pain in my body 24-7 yeah. uh, and lived with it. And then I said, I can't do it. I had one and it took days for me to, to come around. She said, well, how about a hot stone massage? Hmm. I said, okay, I took a half body. So when this gal got done with hers, she came out and got me. I went in and we're just chatting casually and things got to going to in an area that I wasn't quite sure of yet. This was too new to me, but I asked her if she had a gift. I detail it in the book. 
But the long and the short of it is when I asked her if she had a gift, she became very quiet. And then she responded to me. She said, I'm going to tell you this. She said, I do massage and I work with energy and you will know what it is before you leave here today. You can imagine what I felt like at that point. I didn't know if I should get off the table and run, but I just went with the flow. And after a half body session, it's the first time my body was without pain. Hmm. And I asked, could you do the full body, Mm -hmm. full hour? She said, yes, I only came in to take care of your friend and you today. Whoa. So she gave me the hour. And then that second half, she was working on me and I went out into the universe. I was between two worlds. I knew I was in the room with her and I was out in the cosmos. And at that point, that's when I felt this, like that bubble, but I was being held in something, an energy that I can't explain. And that's when I heard the heartbeat for the first time and it wasn't mine. Hmm. Whatever was protecting me. And I was showing things. Now you just interviewed somebody I, I watched recently. His book is uh, God's Mountain. Yeah, I remember God's Mountain. Um, yes, I think that was yeah. John Scott. Okay, well, yes, thank you. I, I listened to that, and there was something in there, and I thought he experienced something I did, because he was out there, and he was showing how far beyond we can go, mm. and we are way beyond anything we can even imagine, even our scientific world right now, mm. and I was showing that. And these when before I went out into that into the cosmos from the table, massage table out, I started to see a very bright electric green circle. And around that came a very bright purple circle and it pulsed Hmm. and it got bigger and bigger and went out beyond my peripheral that for a moment I was frightened and I thought it was so beautiful. I wanted to go with it. And that's when I popped out into the cosmos. And it was at that moment that I lost all fear of death. And I even write in the book, is that how simple it is, that transition from here to there? It's beautiful. Mm. And it's something I also bring to my chaplainship when I'm talking with somebody that's passing. Mm. It's just another, like going from an infant to crawling to Mm. walking. Do you remember those exact moments? They just happened, right? Right. And that's what this is. And, And in that time I was out there, I was shown you know, the, the planets, the, the galaxies. And yet I felt like such a speck because these two pulsating colors kept getting bigger and taking me out and showing how small we are compared to what's out beyond us yeah. and what's holding this all together, that alpha omega. It's interesting. It reminds me of, this is not an NDE, this is in the physical world, but it reminds me of the picture and there's a beautiful reading by um what is that guy's name he's a famous he's dead now he was a famous uh, astrophysicist anyways it's a we had sent a satellite out traveling i think it's maybe out maybe at the edge of our galaxy maybe gone and it takes a picture of the earth from like uh gosh i don't know pluto or not i don't know if it's pluto but somewhere many you know many planets down neptune one of those way out there it takes mm-hmm. a picture of earth it's basically like we're just a little tiny, tiny little speck on this picture, you know, Absolutely. and, 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 and that's you, you know, that's where you, that's where you live. 
And it, and in his beautiful thing, mm-hmm. I'm sure somebody in the um will comment and say, yeah, they know exactly what I'm talking about because it's a very I can famous see him. Speech. I'm terrible with names, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, very famous speech. I know who you're and talking he, about, but I'm yeah. It's a and it, so it's almost it's almost like you kind of experience that in in a in a spiritual way. Absolutely. And I think and that was the moment. Go ahead. That I lost the fear of death. Mm. But I was just going to say, it's when I lost the fear of death. It's interesting that it didn't happen, you know, closer to the time that you had your experience. I mean, how many years past your experience what, did this happen? Oh, let's see. The experience was in uh, yeah. 94. Yeah. I would say around 2005 area. So, yeah, 10 years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's very interesting. All right. So you're working on your new book. When do you expect that to mm-hmm. be out? Oh, well, because of uh, the way the world is and the way I'm working at the hospital, my writing has kind of taken a stop. Mm. But I'm hoping our winter months now will bring me back into it. I don't have a set time. I know I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. I'm using a lot of stories that have happened to patients, and they've allowed me to put them in the book. Mm-hmm which I think is is good for people to understand because in our culture, uh, we don't really accept death very well. Yeah. It's like it's not going to touch me mm. where other cultures do. And I think this is helping people to understand what's coming, mm-hmm. you know, to how to accept it and that it's not the end and how close they are to us after. Those are the things I want to bring into my, my next book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very fast. Hopefully within the year. <laughs> it's great. It's very fascinating to me how um, this topic is very popular on YouTube. I haven't been following the topic long enough to know is this something new or not, but it's very popular right now. And I don't, um, you know, I don't know if it's because of all the situation we're in within the last year, or maybe the, you know, the baby boomers are aging or what it is, but, and maybe just in general, people are always interested in it, even, even though they don't express it. This is something mm-hmm. they can kind of watch it privately. It's kind of interesting because when I wrote the first book, actually I was in the process of writing it. I wasn't finished with it yet, but I went to a three-day event where authors could come and you can talk to other publishers and whatnot, or you can uh, promote your book or, or do a, a little one-on-one with a publisher and promote it. As a sample, if you're not ready to uh, give your book out yet. And I did that. I thought this would be a good experience for me. And there was a, a publisher from the West Coast that was here. And you're supposed to uh, tell your blurb and then tell who you are in the end. Well, I did that. That's what we were taught the night before in a class before doing this by the university here. And when I, I went in, I did that. I gave my, it can only be like a two, three line verb blurb that you really had to capture them with it and then give your name and who you are. So I did that. And then they'll critique you. And this publisher critiqued me and she said, Kathy, if you'd have told me who you were in the very beginning, you would have had me immediately. Hmm. Because I said I was the mystic chaplain. Hmm. Now, a couple hours later, at the end of the day, they had like a cocktail hour, get to meet other authors and publishers and talk and, and gather and I was waiting for someone I had met during the day to talk with them. And all of a sudden, this publisher standing in front of me, out of nowhere, she sought me out in that room. Mm. And she said, whatever you're doing, she said, don't stop. 
she said, your book is going to be very popular. Hmm. And that's, I think that's what you were saying. People are starting to come in on this. And I have to tell you, I never even had to seek out a publisher when I was ready. I met a publisher in our Paneras here in Madison, brought my first five chapters. She didn't even want to see it. She published it. Wow. That doesn't happen. Just does not happen. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I haven't mm-hmm. followed your book. I'm on Amazon, yes. Mm-hmm. And I also have an audio that I did of the book. Mm. So the book and the audio are out there. And you can get it on Kindle. Kindle. Do you um, interact with the public or are you a private person? What I mean by that is like, do you have a Facebook page that you can, that people can ask you questions and you answer them or, you know, do you interact with people any other way publicly? Uh, I do have a Facebook page. I also, on my website, I have a contact uh, button that they can click on and ask questions and I'll respond. Uh, preferably on my webpage. I would rather they went out there. Uh, but I do have a Facebook page. You can get to it from my webpage. There's a, a button at the bottom you can click on for face page. Um, I was trying to get out into more public speaking just when COVID hit. Yeah. There was supposed to be a big event in Green Bay, Wisconsin with many authors, panels, and that's what I wanted to get on. I didn't want to do this, have to go different places and just sit there all day with your book. Mm-hmm. I wanted to start speaking. And then it stopped for some because of the COVID. We were all locked down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had I had three events coming up that were going to take me into that realm. And now it's starting with you mm-hmm. for this podcast. Mm-hmm. I was told how to reach you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's going to start something different. I know something more is coming for me mm-hmm. to get the word out. Yeah, there's other podcasters that I'm assuring that would be happy to have you as a guest. What is the name of your website? That's what I'm getting into. Uh, it's www.kathycollinswriter.com. Okay. Kind of like my email. All right. Hopefully everybody has got that so they can find you. Do you have a YouTube channel? No. All right. Well, before we wrap it up here, Kathy, do you have one last message that you can share with the audience before we go? Pretty much uh, what I wanted to, what I already shared with you was opening up our hearts to this new cosmic love that's out there. And it's going to change our world in a good way. And it's going to be fast and furious. Mm. Plant your feet on the ground and enjoy the ride. That's a great message. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Kathy. Well, I appreciate you being on my podcast today. And I wish you massive success, not only with this book, but with your next book as well. Thank you very much. Mm. All right. Well, have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>